and thank you for joining us for another episode of Hope for Healthcare with Dr. Katie Cole in partnership with ICD Healthcare Network. Dr. Katie Cole is a holistic physician, organizational well-being consultant, and change agent, working with industry leaders and proven strategies to heal our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Stay tuned to hear today's speaker. Welcome everyone to Hope for Healthcare. This is a podcast in which we interview expert leaders around the country on best practices for healing our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. I want to extend a very warm welcome today to Dr. Beth Lone. Dr. Lone is the Chief Medical Officer of the Schwartz Center for Compassionate Healthcare, a nonprofit organization dedicated to sustaining compassion through its programs, education, and advocacy so that all who seek and provide healthcare experience compassion. As Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Lone has led thought leadership and contact development through uh, for the Short Center for over a decade. With her team and collaborators, she creates, implements, improves, and evaluates new initiatives, courses, and programs, convenes conferences, and researches compassion-related topics and measures. She works with national organizations to advocate for resources to support the mental health and well-being of the healthcare workforce. In addition to her work with the Short Center, Dr. Lone is Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and Mount Auburn Hospital, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Well, welcome, Dr. Lone. I just want to say how grateful and, and happy I am to be having this conversation with you with our audience today. Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate your invitation. Ah. Well, and Dr. Loon, do you want me to address you as Dr. Loon or, or how do you prefer on the podcast today? I forgot to ask. Beth, Beth is totally fine. Okay. So Beth, really, I, I know that our audience would love to hear about your story of how you became involved with the Short Center and your journey up until now. Sure. Yeah. So I am a primary care physician, um, retired from my practice right now, so I could focus on the Short Center, but... I became involved with the Schwartz Center because I was taking care of this wonderful elderly couple. And the husband of the couple became very, very ill. He had many, many chronic uh, problems. And once he became too ill to come see me, I would just, as was my practice, start just making house calls mm -hmm. and then eventually transition into doing home palliative care with my patients, which I genuinely loved. I find that extremely rewarding. And so over time, we got actually very, very close. And I have uh, always had the, um, you know, the, the habit really of trying to write about what I'm experiencing because often it's the only way I can make sense of my experiences. And so since I was an intern, I've been writing poems about my patients. And so with this couple, I started writing poems very early in our relationship. And I wrote about five over the course of the time I was taking care of him until he died at home with his wife by his side. And when he died, I gave them this collection of poems, one of which one of his sons read at his funeral. Oh, and wow. yeah. Um, and the wife who I adored, <laughs> excuse me, 
bound my poems into this gorgeous handmade book with calligraphy of the poems in it and gave me the book back. Um, and so it was just this wonderful gift. I still have that, of course. And she ultimately became um, very sick and died um, with dementia, which was heartbreaking to watch. And I read one of my poems at her funeral at her son's request. So um, it was, yeah, I mean, I just loved this family. And that's the thing about doing primary care, you know, it's easy to fall in love with your patients. But um, she um, actually nominated me for the very first Schwartz Center Compassionate Caregiver of the Year Award, which is way back in 1999. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got to know the Schwartz Center. So I met the founders. The Schwartz Center was really, it was founded in 1995. So it had already been around for, you know, four years. But I met some of the founders and I just, I love the mission. I'm completely dedicated to the idea that compassion has to be the very foundation of everything we do and that care really should focus and emerge from the strength and the sanctity of relationships, which I find now in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and so did Ken Schwartz. I mean, I can tell you his story in a second. But that's how I came to uh, be involved with the Schwartz Center. And I, I had done all kinds of volunteer work for them until I uh, became their chief medical officer about 10, 12 years or so ago. Beth, that is a lovely story. And I love that you're a poet as well. And, <laughs> you know, you have so many different talents, but that, that had to have been a very special gift that you gave your patient and their family. And that she gave me, that they both gave me, that the whole family did, you know? Yeah. It's amazing when we do practice compassion in healthcare with our patients, it's a double blessing, right? Which is what us physicians love is, you know, when we give out the love and the compassion, we generally receive that in return. And it's just, it's what fuels us and keeps us. It, it totally, you're so right, Katie. You know, it really generates this positive energy and, you know, we, we see that in the neurosciences, too, you know, when the, all these new social neuroscience research is showing that, you know, when we're experiencing a sense of compassion, it lights up all our reward centers in the brain. And, you know, it's very, very motivating to make you want to do more and more. Mm -hmm. well, can you tell us a little bit about the history behind the Schwartz Center as well and your mission and vision and purpose? Yeah, well, actually, you nicely, beautifully summarized our, our, our vision and our, our mission, but um, Ken Schwartz founded the Schwartz Center. He was a healthcare attorney here in Boston, and he was um, very much involved in health policy, really very, um, very smart and very concerned about what direction healthcare was heading. That was the era of the very beginnings of managed care before quality and safety, before the patient experience, before anyone was thinking about any of these other topics that we really focus on today. Um, and he received some good care and he, you know, he received some bad care before he got really um, stellar care at the um, Mass General, actually, at Mass General Hospital. But he was very worried. He felt like, you know, I'm not sure everybody's getting this kind of care. 
and he was concerned that it was going to be really diminished and that the centrality of the clinician-patient relationship was in jeopardy. And so uh, he actually uh, was diagnosed, unfortunately, with advanced lung cancer when he was only 40 years old. He had this lovely family, a little son, and he went through a lot of chemo, radiation therapy, but he said, you know what mattered most to him in the end, more than all of those treatments, was the kindness and the compassion that his caregivers had shown to him, that that was ultimately what was so incredibly important, regardless of the outcome. And so literally on his deathbed, as he was dying, he asked his friends and family to start a center so that compassion would never be extinguished in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And that is how the Short Center was born in 1995. Um, the vision, you, you summarized it at the very beginning, but our vision is that everyone who provides and receives care in any kind of healthcare facility, both the providers and the recipients experience compassion. That is our vision for the world. And we do this through our programs, our education, and our advocacy. We have many different programs we can talk about if you'd like, um, but that's really the, the foundation of, of the Short Center. It's really based on the importance of our caring, our compassion, our relationships, and the need to ensure that that remains the central focus of healthcare. And it's needed now more than ever, Beth, especially in our, you know, chaotic, sometimes toxic healthcare environment on the front line during the pandemic we're still in. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you mentioned what, what I, what I found very unique about what you said is that you're focused on compassionate caring for both providers and patients. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you focus on the provider aspect of compassion? Yeah. So that's really all of our mission is carried out in that way. Um, We provide education through our webinars and our conferences. Um, We do a lot of thought leadership and try to, in whatever ways we can, join in influencing policy uh, that supports the well-being of the healthcare workforce. We also have many, many programs that we run. I'll tell you about Schwartz Round, Stress First Aid, and our newest initiative, the Healing Healthcare Initiative, if you, li- if you like. But oh, that's yeah. really, yeah, that's how we- I'm that's how we, into all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how we make our, 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 uh, our vision meaningful, and that's how we sort of operationalize our, our mission. I see. So I think, tell us first about the Schwartz Center Rounds. I know they have a really unique history. I'd, I'd love to hear about- yeah, so I have to say, I've been running Schwartz Rounds in my hospital since 2004. It is one of the best things that I do. It really, oh, it completely lights me up. It's so energizing and it's a very, very meaningful experience for me, uh, facilitating and trying to keep it organized and for the people who join us. So you know, when the short center was born and his friends and family, Ken's friends and family were thinking about, well, how are we going to activate what he asked us to do? We, you know, what, what should we do? Um, they went to his team. They went to his oncology team and said, what do you guys need to stay as compassionate as you were when you were taking care of Ken? And without hesitation, they all said, 
you need a place to get together to process some of the feelings and the emotions and the experiences that we're having as we take care of really, really sick patients day in, day out. There is no place to talk about this in healthcare. Um, and so they created the structure, you know, the initial structure for short rounds. And the structure has proven to be incredibly effective and durable. So, you know, we now have, gosh, I don't even know, 700 plus organizations that run shorts rounds here in the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and we have partners in the UK that run them there and in Ireland. And they have spread very organically, um, person to person, by mouth, you know, um, just speaking about it. We've not really advertised it. People take it with them if they leave a position and bring it to the next place they work. So, you know, it's a real, it's a real testament to the importance and the efficacy of the Schwartz rounds. So just to describe what they are, they're, they're regularly scheduled, they're interdisciplinary conversations about really some of the most complicated, challenging, uh, emotionally and psychologically challenging dilemmas that we face every day when we're taking care of patients and their families. And they also can focus on um, similar issues in our interactions with our coworkers. So they're pretty unique conversations. And we invite anyone, it doesn't matter your role or responsibility in a healthcare facility. If you work there, you're invited to participate. And I think that's another thing that really makes it unique. And to some extent levels the hierarchy of medicine. Mm -hmm. So that's what Schwartz Rounds are all about. And there's a very particular format that we follow. We, we train our members how to implement the round successfully and we train uh, facilitators to facilitate them in a way that provides space where people have the courage to speak up and really share what they're feeling and experiencing and thinking. So Beth, is each organization have their own unique uh, short center rounds every month? Okay. Yeah, people can do it anywhere from monthly to every other month. You know, it, it really depends on the center. We recommend at least six times a year Mm -hmm. um, you know, the more rounds that happen, the more the impact. We've actually studied the rounds, so we actually know how they affect the participants. And uh, it does seem to be that the outcomes that we've seen are correlated with the frequency of participants attending the rounds. Wow, that makes sense. Yeah, right? of course. And especially if they go with their coworkers, if they go with teammates. Okay. Um, it, it really strengthens a sense of being part of a team and being comfortable expressing your perspectives and your opinions with your coworkers, having a better understanding of the work that they do. I, I know I've had these experiences in Schwartz rounds many times where I think, oh my goodness, I had no idea this is what your life is like. You know, there's these aha moments where you really think, Ah, okay. So it promotes empathy and perspective taking. You can really imagine walking in someone else's shoes doing their job, which I think is part of the positive effect in improving teamwork. Mm -hmm. So it does that. It also really significantly diminishes psychological distress. Um, that's been shown in our evaluations, but also in this really large, um, very well-run study done in the United Kingdom. And um, it 
also sort of makes people much more aware and attentive to the psychosocial emotional aspects of taking care of patients mm -hmm. and their concerns and their needs and what their lived experiences are like. So rounds have been around, they've been evaluated. There's a lot of people doing research on the rounds now. Um, it's actually really exciting, but I think the fact that they were so durable even during the pandemic is really quite remarkable to me. Mm -hmm. And if anything, uh, our membership has exploded uh, since the pandemic really uh, began. People really want these, they're helpful. And so Beth, if there's an organization that's interested in, in participating in your Schwartz and Around, how would they get started? Would they reach out to you or what would be the process? The, so thanks for asking that. The process is just go onto our website and there is a little place there where you can express interest. Um, it's really easy you know, to, to fill that out on our website. And then a member of our membership team would get in touch and let you know what the next steps are. So our members are organizations in large healthcare systems, they're not individuals. So if you're applying, it means your organization wants to be part of our community. And then we orient and train and onboard um, the membership. And so, you know, depending on what they're looking for, if they wanna run Schwartz rounds, then we help them get trained to implement that in a way that's gonna be successful. That's great. I will make sure I make that link accessible uh, when we post the podcast information. Terrific. Thank you. Yeah. And so you do quite a few other things at the Schwartz Center on top of the Schwartz Center rounds. Can right. you talk a little bit more about some of your other initiatives that you're working sure. on? Sure. Thanks for asking, Katie. Yeah. So our next big program after Schwartz rounds was Stress First Aid. And, you know, we were going through the, when the pandemic hit, I was already really interested in the impact of trauma on healthcare workers, um, you know, and had been studying the impact of terrorism, major traumatic events, gun violence on healthcare workers where they had occurred. And I was aware that even after, for example, 9-11, the prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder continued to go up even five years after that horrific event. And so I thought, oh my goodness, this, this is going to be a real significant problem for us. Um, even if we're able to contain the pandemic, this is really gonna have a major impact on our healthcare workforce. We call them caregivers and anybody's a caregiver, it doesn't matter what you do in healthcare. Um, but, I was starting to get very, very worried about it. So we, we actually um, developed a new program really quickly um, based on some of the evidence about what do people need to really endure and recover and be sustained in the immediate impact and the immediate post impact of a traumatic event or a disaster. Um, and so there is uh, evidence out there about what should an intervention have? What's evidence informed? What do we need to do? Um, and so the evidence suggested that there are several things that people need to really guide them through these kinds of events. And that's a sense of safety, a sense of calming or be able to calm yourself or others, a sense of self-efficacy, meaning belief in yourself or your community, mm -hmm. connectedness being connected with other people and a sense of hope. 
So we reached out to folks at the National Center for PTSD who were also already starting um, programs on this. They had implemented programs on, uh, based on this for other emergency workers. They had implemented a version of this for firefighters and first responders. And so we worked with um, particularly one consultant, Dr. Patricia Watson at the National Center for PTSD to create our program. And so we, those are the foundational, uh, you know, five empirically supported intervention principles. Our program teaches several core actions that put these principles into operation. So we teach these core actions, checking in on yourself, on other people. How do you coordinate to get the help you need or to get help to other people? Of course, respecting boundaries. How do you provide cover, a sense of cover, a sense of safety? And literally, sometimes that means coverage, you know, <laughs> stepping yeah. in for somebody. <laughs> um, methods for calming yourself, calming other people. How do you shore up your sense of competence? This was very prominent in the pandemic when people were being transferred to new units and trying to, you know, use skills that they had to either skill up to or get reintroduced to. So how do you ensure that you're going to have the skills that you need to feel confident in your ability to perform? Supporting a sort of positive sense of yourself that you're going to be able to endure and that you're actually going to be able to function well. Mm -hmm. So those are the core actions. And we have this wonderful stress continuum um, that has sort of zones, green, yellow, orange, and red. And so these are like red flag signals, you know, green is good to go. You're doing great. When you start to get into the yellow zone, you're starting to feel transient symptoms of stress, but you can shake it off. Orange, you're in more dangerous territory and you're having a harder time coping. And then red means you're really at risk for developing significant mental illness or you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome, anxiety, depression, whatever else. And so we want to catch people before they tip over into the orange zone. So we can intervene. And so we teach those warning signals so that you can either get help for yourself if you're able to be that self-aware, or you can notice it in your colleagues and start to reach out and make sure that person either gets a referral or gets that kind of help that they need. But you know, what we find is that peer support is what people want. Like when people are really suffering in this incredible, you know, acute, acute stressful situations, they don't want mental health services. They use peer support. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But that has been shown again and again, both in first responders and more recently uh, amongst healthcare, you know, workers as well. Mm -hmm. So that's stress first aid. And that uh, we have that in two different flavors. We have a sort of basics course where people can do you know, just train themselves and sort of learn about this whole, um, all of these core actions and the, the stress continuum. And we have a train the trainer program, and that's much more intensive. And what we try to do is teach people how to train champions within their organization so that they can make sure that there's a group or a cadre of people who are able to use mm -hmm. these skills. Okay. That's amazing, Beth. I love that you guys are spearheading the, the um, stress first aid programming and really teaching a lot of, um, I think, beneficial ways to self-soothe and manage stress at work. And 
you know, we talk in healthcare about physicians and nurses being the most resilient population. Um, however, you know, we're resilient and we can charge through and push through the day on a long 12 hour day. But when it comes to being resilient in terms of having the space, the psychological safety, this peer support and the culture to actually process what's happening in the moment. So we don't carry it with us. That's what we really need training on. So absolutely, I really appreciate you offering that programming. Yeah, it's been very interesting and rewarding uh, to learn about it, to see how it's how it's functioning. I think, uh, you know, people are using it, which makes me happy. And so how does an, does an organization just contact you through your website if they're interested in? in- Same thing. Yeah. So again, you know, if you, you to, to learn about these or to, to use these programs, you have to become a member first and then we'll train you. Okay. Yeah. And then you're part of our community. So then you can take advantage of the other stuff that we offer. Wonderful. Well, could I sign up too? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you're part of some kind of a healthcare organization, you surely can. Okay, great. It's on the list to do this week, so. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You know, I believe in walking my talk. So if I'm encouraging everyone to do this, you know, I want to be part of it too. So. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And I know that you have another um, initiative called the Healing Health Initiative. Can you talk to us a little bit more about this? And yeah, sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. So again, you know, we knew that uh, burnout was like a major problem, and moral injury, and moral distress, and all of these other things. Um, anxiety, depression—they're higher in healthcare workers, mm-hmm. and burnout in particular, you know, was just crazy, um, according to the national surveys that were being done. Um, But, you know, burnout and, you know, moral injury too, actually, these are occupational syndromes. They're not personal problems, you know? And so we started to think about, as did a lot of other people, we can't have only individually focused programs, or even as our programs are a lot, you know, team-based, they, we have to really think about, well, if, if these if the root cause of these issues is occupationally contributed to, then we have to fix the workplace. We can't just fix the worker. And so we became really interested in systemic approaches and culture change. How can we change um, the cultures of the organizations that we're working in So again, they focus on compassion, not just for patients and families, but the people who are trying to provide that care as well. And of course, now, you know, we're seeing the impact in the staffing shortages, people leaving their jobs. It's really tough. It's a tough scene right now. And people are feeling very, very beleaguered. And it's hard to know even where to begin. But again, you know, we began by really doing a deep dive into research and literature about, okay, what does it take to to create culture change? What does it take to create organizational change? And what are really um, some of the, the things, the principles, again, that a, a compassionate healthcare culture needs to, to rest on. What are those things? You know, what do you need to be a compassionate caregiver in your organization? What is a healthy, positive working environment that actually enables you to be compassionate instead of getting in your way? 
And so again, we um, took a look and I was very impressed with um, SAMHSA's concept of trauma. Mm -hmm. SAMHSA is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Agency. 2014, they published a uh, concept document about what is trauma and the trauma-informed approach to caring for patients. Um, and I thought, this is like so, this so resonated with me, you know. So we, um, you know, I convened a national advisory group to really look at this framework. And I thought, can we use this? Can we adapt this and focus it for the healthcare workforce? You know, because it was developed to take care of patients mm -hmm. uh, in populations. How can we turn the lens of a trauma-informed approach towards us? And so we worked on adapting um, the concepts and really created our own six key principles. Some of them are similar to SAMHSA's that we believe are the bedrock of compassionate organizational cultures. And those, those are support for the mental health and well-being of the healthcare workforce, psychological and physical safety. We know that physical safety and workplace violence is becoming increasingly prevalent, diversity and equity, inclusion, voice and choice, particularly in decision-making, that's gonna affect your work, how you get your work done and your work-life balance of integration, trust and being trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And the final principle, not in order of importance is team cohesiveness and collaboration. So those are the six key principles. And we use that as sort of, sort of the foundation, the evidence-informed or evidence-based you know, based framework and thought, okay, how can we help people really sustain or infuse this into their healthcare organizational culture? And so we've created this program, which is really a senior leadership team program. We're going to be bringing leadership teams together to really reimagine their organization's operations so that healthcare workers can really find strength and safety uh, in prioritizing their own well being and be able to offer the kind of compassionate, equitable, safe, and effective care that we want to be able to provide. So that is, you know, the basic, you know, kind of high level overview of what the program is all about. We are going to help the teams operationalize these key principles with very specific projects that are aligned with their own organizational goals mm -hmm. and the key principles, of course, and we'll be uh, helping them not just with implementation, but we're also going to be helping by evaluating the, the pilot. We've got a research team working with us so that we can see what's effective in the program. What do we need to tweak? What do we need to improve? And then hopefully we'll be able to scale it to the rest of the membership. But it's just a pilot. And um, again, if people are interested, they can apply. There's an application form on our website under programs. Uh, and we'll be accepting a very small number of sites, very small, uh, for the initial pilot, just six sites. That's wonderful, Beth. And so when you're introducing the um, pillars of your Healing Health Initiative, um, you said there was, was there four or five principles? Six. Or six, sorry, there were six. Um, do you offer coaching or is there a way that you're helping the organizations decide how to implement these six principles? Sure. So we the program's pretty, um, I'd say it's robust and kind of intense. So 
we have um, we have written materials. We have all kinds of resources, as we do for most of our programs. We have a learning management system too, so that the initial phase of this is going to be really a learning phase. Um, so as much as time as people want to work through the learning management that explains what these key principles are and offers um, examples of how they've been implemented in different types of healthcare organizations, that's going to be available to them. We are going to be gathering the, um, the organizational teams in different kinds of ways. We're going to have learning collaboratives and we'll have just leading star experts in some of these key principles speaking to them and talking about them, their challenges with them. And the learning collaboratives have the advantage that teams are going to be able to learn from each other. That happens, uh, you know, in our community. And it's one of the things that I love about it, that it enables people to network and to really share their ideas. What's working? What's not working? How did you overcome this challenge, this barrier? What, how are you measuring success? And all of those things are going to be up for discussion during these learning collaboratives. We have um, mentors um, through a partnership with a um, global consulting firm, Strategic Mentorship. And we're also going to have a, uh, an expert in relational leadership as a coach mm -hmm. for the teams. So it's going to be pretty, um, I, I don't know how intense it will feel to the participants. I'm, I'm hoping, A, that they'll learn, that they're energized, that they get a, a, a sense of replenishment and in some of the meetings, a sense of respite. We're also going to do Schwartz rounds for them. Oh, that's fabulous. I love how you have your foundation set for your healing health initiative. And I think, you know, it's it's leading by example and it's providing examples on how other organizations are implementing these strategies. So I think from everything that you've said, it sounds like it's a really well-rounded program. Yeah, I'm very excited about it and excited to see where it goes. Yeah. And, you know, in, integrating organization well-being and DEI into healthcare doesn't have to be a painful process. Mm. You it's, know, first of all, it's essential, right? Right, it's essential. <laughs> what were you going to say? Did I interrupt you, Katie? Well, no, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, I feel like sometimes organizations feel very overwhelmed when it comes oh, yeah. to all of yeah. it. And, you know, it, it, it can start small, like you're doing a pilot, you know, small pilots with a few organizations to see how it goes and then to tweak and, and then scale um, across the country, you know, healthcare organizations can start small with even maybe one clinic and apply some of these approaches and evaluate it to see mm -hmm. how it's impacting turnover, provider engagement, productivity, and things like that, and then scale um, in a larger way to the rest of the organization. Absolutely. And, you know, what you're describing are these little small tests of change. They, you know, it's, it's continuous quality improvement methodology, which is, of course, what, you know, they'll be doing. I think, you know, one of the um, not-so-hidden agendas for us is we want the teams to feel embodied, demonstrate in their behaviors, the key principles that we want the culture to be infused with, right? Like you said, role modeling is important. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the agenda of the program. And, um, I, you know, the other thing that we're seeing is that people are doing excellent work and 
they're all kinds of initiatives that have been started in many of our members, organizations and systems on well-being, on the diversity, equity, inclusion. And I think what I'm hoping is that we'll be able to break down the silos because we notice that people are doing it separately. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if we can bring all those people into the same room mm-hmm. rather than having separate initiatives, it's, it's you know, perhaps we can actually, the military calls this a force multiplier. Let's, let's bring people together and leverage their common efforts mm-hmm. rather than duplicating or you know, not coordinating mm-hmm. their efforts with each other. You mm-hmm. can't have well-being without diversity and equity. You can't have well-being unless people in, feel included in the decisions that are affecting their lives. Mm-hmm. You know? And all of that's going to affect psychological safety and trust. So these principles are totally interwoven. And so the process of the initiative kind of pulls together the threads of the key principles so the process demonstrates the end outcome absolutely and i think that's what makes it successful and you're teaching basic leadership principles that we don't always get in training and you know, you're teaching compassion in healthcare and empathic listening as a leader. And you're teaching all of those principles while you're implementing like a new mindset. Mm -hmm. That is our hope. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it sounds like you, you have everything set in place and, you know, I look forward to maybe catching up with you in the next, in a year to see where you are with your organization on your initiative. Yeah, thank you, Katie. Yeah, I'm very excited about everything that we're doing. It's so sorely needed. And uh, I know we need to do something. And so here we are. We all have to just contribute whatever we can, wherever we can. Yes. And I and I love your sentiment around we all need to come together and share best practices. And it, it really is going to take a village. It's going to take our whole community to come together to change our culture of healthcare. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. We have to be a strong voice. I think it's easy to feel railroaded and, and um, you know, powerless. Mm-hmm. But we are the system. Mm-hmm. We are the culture. We're the system. Mm-hmm. We need to create it and shape it the way we think it should be. Absolutely. And, you know, everyone is a leader, right? Every physician is trained to be a leader. Even nurses, nurses are leaders. Every, even patients are leaders, right? Because they, they should be leading their treatment team and, and what their direction they want to go with their care. Uh-huh. So we really need to have the training and the culture to support being exemplary leaders in our own life. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, well, Beth, this has been a very heartwarming discussion, and you, we've covered so many different topics today. I want to see if there's anything else that you want to leave with our audience before we wrap up. Thank you. I'm just uh, happy that you invited me, Katie. Thanks so much. <laughs> I love sharing our work and our message. I would love people to leave us feeling energized, empowered knowing that their calling is still part of their heart and we have to seize control of the mechanisms to make it real and to sustain it. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't even know if I can comment on that. That was that was very beautifully said, Beth. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Beth, for, for sharing your morning with us today and, and really deep diving into your programming at the Schwartz Center. And I will be posting all the links that we talked about today. And if you have any questions, you can certainly reach out to Dr. Alone or me as well. And I, again, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank and you, Katie. I, I really appreciate it. I want to thank our audience too, for tuning in and listening and every you know, every day is a new day. And, you know, even if you make one change today in your organization and you have a different mindset or an approach based on what you've heard today, you're making a difference and it's a ripple effect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can only make change one conversation at a time too. Mm -hmm. You know, you never know where those ideas are going to land. Nope. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but hopefully it's going in the right direction, Beth, <laughs> whatever you take away today, hopefully it's moving us in a positive direction in healthcare. Absolutely. Okay. I agree. All right. All right, Katie. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Take care.